0: Hey, everyone, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen this episode on the history of the Kent State Massacre, a somewhat unknown, surprisingly, and definitely largely misunderstood moment in American history, and kind of a bummer. So prepare, but it's a good one. Enjoy. Enjoy? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry, and it's snowing outside, (laughs) which means it's stuff you should know. Snow edition. Snow edition. Yeah. I know, and we're like, we
1: gotta record and get out of here, because this is Atlanta, and
0: snow kills us. I just mainly don't want to be locked away from the snow. I want to be able to, like, look out the window and see it. I can now, but not as well as I'd like to. For
1: me, it's just a traffic thing. Like, people are probably leaving work right now. People have already left the office here. Well, maybe everyone will be gone by the time I get out there. Yeah.
0: Okay. You'll just be the lone guy trudging through the snow. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Like Vigo Mortensen
1: in the road. Yes. Although he
0: was not alone. And there wasn't any snow. No.
1: It was just n- nuclear ash.
0: Although there was snow because Charlie's there and kills herself by going out into the snow. But that's before everything really takes yeah, yeah. A, a downward turn. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Retroactive spoiler alert. Uh, Chuck. Yep. Are you familiar with Kent State? Yeah, man. I've been singing that Neil Young song all day. How can you not? Uh, you cannot by having never heard it like me. Shut up. You know that song. Never heard it. I never listened to Neil Young. <laughs> You've never heard the song Ohio? No, I know the Pretender song, but I don't think that's about Kent State. I'm shocked. Okay. I, I mean, you don't have I to love listen to Neil Young you. without, like, uh, knowing How's that, it go? humming for me. No, I'm not going to. Well, maybe I have heard it. Ten
1: Soldiers and Nixon. Come okay, on, yeah, man. yeah, I've
0: heard it. I didn't know that was about Ohio. <laughs> Four Dead in Ohio? Yeah. Okay. And I, I had no idea. All right. I didn't know what that song was about. I was just like, <laughs> oh, Neil Young. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Get ready to hear it. I'm sure. All right. I'm used to it by
1: now. You're bulletproof.
0: Uh, Well... So you're familiar with the Kent State shootings. Sure. May 4th, uh, 1970, um, four students were killed. I believe another 11 were injured. Yeah, including one was paralyzed, like some pretty severe injuries. And uh, this is a big deal. That would be a big deal in and of itself if it was just some sort of campus shooting or something like that. Like it'd be a very big deal these days. But what made the Kent State shootings, for those of you who aren't familiar with them, such an enormous deal, was that the shootings were carried out by National Guardsmen. Yeah. They were Americans firing on Americans. Um, Americans on one side of the equation firing on protesters on the other side. Uh, And it was one of the darkest points in American history, modern or otherwise.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, I think what's so upsetting is it was random. It wasn't, you know, that guy's coming at me with a a bottle or a brick shoot him, it was random shooting into a crowd. Right. That's the kind of thing that
0: would happen in countries under, like, dictatorships, Mm -hmm. not here in America. But it did happen here in America. Yeah. And not just uh, at Kent State. There was another similar incident just 10 days later um, that we'll talk about as well that gets overlooked. But, yeah, it was a very dark moment in American history, and it came out of the, the tensions... Um, over the Vietnam War initially. Yep. But I think it was more than that. It was also, we should say, that's the um, kind of obvious thing that led to it. Yeah. But also there was a a, a real tension also between the establishment and the anti-establishment. Yeah. And um, the people in control and the people who weren't in control, students, elders. There was just a lot of tension between two sides and the dividing line The obvious dividing line was the Vietnam War.
1: Yeah, and um, I think if you're not of that generation, you may not know the full story. Uh, You might know that four people were shot in a protest, and that's about it. Right. Maybe even if you're from that generation, you may not know the full story. But we're about
0: to tell you. Okay. Well, let's take it back a little further than 1970.
1: All right. uh, Vietnam, a country which had uh, won its uh, independence from France in
0: the 50s. Have you ever seen We Were Soldiers? Yes. With Mel, Gibson. Mel Gibson. It's almost like a snuff film. It's one of the most graphically violent yeah. movies I've ever seen in my life. But it's about that transition from France leaving Vietnam and America coming in. Yeah. And There's, initially... Uh, go, no, go ahead. Well, just initially serving as advisors. Oh, right. And then becoming embroiled in the war. I forgot all about that movie. Yeah.
1: You know, in Apocalypse Now, there are some deleted scenes of uh, them meeting up with a French family in Vietnam, and like having dinner. Really? Yeah, and I remember when I heard about that, I was like, what? Why were they French? And then I did a little more homework on it.
0: Oh. Oh, yeah, if you eat Vietnamese food, like it's very clearly like yeah, French went. influenced. Well, all food, most food is, but yeah. Sure.
1: Um, so anyway, <laughs> uh, in the 50s, they uh, split between communist North and non-communist South Vietnam, mm-hmm. and America didn't want communism spreading throughout asia
0: no we had a policy of containment
1: yeah and so richard nixon um when he won the the 68 election um part of his promise was uh, something called vietnamization it's kind of an awkward word mm-hmm. and that meant uh, to transfer the combat duties from our soldiers to the south vietnamese
0: that sounds familiar doesn't it it
1: does but um what what happened was at some point he said you know what in uh, 1970 in april he said i want to send our soldiers into cambodia and that caused sort of a firestorm because it was a bit of a reversal of what he said he was going to do and it you know really embroiled us in the kind of the middle of things
0: well yeah he he escalated the war in vietnam which was already a very um, contentious issue in that it was a war but also it was a war that congress never openly declared war So that's why, historically speaking, it's referred to as the Vietnam conflict. Right. Um, And so Nixon gets elected partially because he's saying, I'm going to get our boys out of there. Yeah. We're not going to, like, let the communists win. We're going to prop up the Vietnamese. Yeah. But um we're gonna get out of there and instead he escalates things by invading Cambodia where the Viet Cong were, were stationed. And that led to immediate protests. That was April thirtieth, nineteen seventy, that he announced that we had invaded Cambodia. Yeah. And the next day is when the first protest takes place at Kent State.
1: Yeah, and uh Kent the the article points out that it was not the most likely place because it was a little more blue collar than like, say uh Ohio State mm-hmm.
0: nearby. The Ohio State University. And um, man, I'm sorry. What? That is so stupid. <laughs> sorry, OSU alums and fans and students, but it is stupid. And everyone outside of Ohio State <laughs> thinks it's stupid. They take a lot of pride in that, the. I know, which I think just kind of fans the flames of um, derision. Yeah. You know? I'm just going to start saying the University of Georgia. That makes a little more sense. Does it? Yeah. Well, what's the difference? The Ohio State University. Oh. The University of Georgia.
1: It just, so if it was the University of Ohio State, that would make more sense? Yeah,
0: a little more. To okay. m- to my ear. I got gotcha. you. My ear. Yeah. Right there. Mm-hmm. See it? That's very nice. Thank you.
1: Um, at any rate, uh, Kent State was a little more blue collar, and right. you wouldn't think there would be like protesting, but there was protesting at... Schools all over the country.
0: There were, and you can read between the lines here. Kent State had a lower hippie population than Ohio State. Yeah, at can the we time. just come right out and say it? <laughs> right, but there were protests there. Um, there was a protest on May first, and it was a standard uh, war protest.
1: Yeah, three days before the shootings, so and it's kind of when things got kicked off.
0: Right, but these kids were still pretty good. They were at school holding a protest in the Commons, I believe, um, which was the. AKA the quad or like the big grassy area in yeah. between in the middle of campus. Um, and they said, you know what? This went pretty well. Let's take the weekend off and we'll meet back here Monday and have another anti-war protest because we're really steamed about this. And everyone said, okay, let's do that. And for tonight, let's go out and hit the bars in Kent. Yes. Which yeah, is the, what they did. The
1: first one, they buried the, the constitution as a symbolic gesture. Oh, yeah. Thanks. And the second one, they got drunk. Right. Not at the protest, but yeah. later that night.
0: Right, so that Friday protest is when they buried the Constitution. Yeah. So this is like a real protest. It's not just walking around. There's, like, stuff going on. And, sure. like, you know, there's symbolic acts. It was a real protest.
1: Yeah, and uh, if you combine alcohol and protesting, things might get a little rowdy. Uh-huh. So bonfires broke out. Uh, they started throwing
0: bottles at police cars, bro- yeah, breaking windows. It's more than a little rowdy. I mean, that's pretty—that's a riot, when you set, like, bonfires in the streets and, yeah. like, throw bottles at, at police cars, that you have just basically said, oh, uh, we've drawn a line in the sand. What are you going to do, cops?
1: That is one way to look at it for sure. Uh, the mayor, Leroy Satram, said, uh, this is an emergency situation, people. I need to call the governor, James Rhodes. We need some help. I'm going to close the bars, which, you know, isn't going to make anyone very happy.
0: No, and it had a, an exacerbating effect apparently because that meant all the people who weren't rioting in the streets who were busy drinking in the bars were now suddenly in the streets too and joined the protests, and the, a.k.a. the riots, right?
1: Uh, that's right, and the police were called in. They used tear gas and said, go back to your dorm rooms basically, get back on campus, and that was Friday. Now we move on to Saturday.
0: Yeah, and the mayor's obviously a little jumpy He's hearing rumors circulating that there's going to be another, the the, the scene from the night before is going to happen all over again on Saturday. So he calls the governor of Ohio. And um, here enters the person who, in my opinion, is single-handedly responsible for what happened at Kent State. (laughs)
1: So the National Guard arrives, um, there were about a thousand protesters um, that actually burned down an ROTC building on campus, (laughs) which is a pretty bold move, and um, they didn't find out who did that exactly, but they did cut fire hoses so they couldn't put out the fire Yeah, and basically burned it to the ground.
0: Yeah, the protesters set it on fire and then cut the fire hoses, like they wanted that building burned, and apparently... um, that's when the the National Guard shows up, a couple like an hour or so later, right? Yeah, and they
1: they you know broke everything up obviously, and then uh, come Sunday, you've got about a thousand National Guardsmen, and you've got Governor Rhodes arriving uh, and holding a press conference and kind of flaming the fire again by calling uh, the protesters. The worst type of people that we harbor in America,
0: yeah, he compared him to the brown shirts, Mussolini's brown shirts, yeah, um the uh communists, um, pretty much anybody he could think of that was that would be disparaging. that's who he publicly at this press conference compared him to um and you mentioned that the the on Sunday morning the um, National Guard was on campus, kind of keeping order and everything, but apparently like the relations between the guardsmen. And the students were pretty amicable. Like, people were chatting friendly. Like, there was no tension. It was just kind of like, hey, I'm 19. Hey, I'm 19. I'm a student at Kent State. I'm in the National Guard. Let's hang out. And it wasn't until the governor showed up and held this press conference that things took a very sudden turn for the worse. And it wasn't just the brown shirts calling them the brown shirts of the worst element that America harbors, but also saying... I may also declare martial law.
1: Yeah, and that uh, I may message never quite got through, and there was confusion as to whether or not that actually happened. And basically the National Guard believed that that had happened, and they took control of the campus and said, yeah. we're running the show now.
0: And not just the National Guard, but the university officials too. The people running the university said, oh, well, martial law is declared. And they knew that there was a protest scheduled for the following day, Monday, So they printed a bunch of flyers and pamphlets saying, hey, your constitutional rights have been suspended because the university is under martial law, so all assembly is banned, so don't protest. And that kind of fell on deaf ears, I guess you could say, come Monday morning, because the students showed up to protest.
1: Yeah, that definitely didn't work. Um, By noon, there was uh, about 3,000 people, about 500 actively protesting, another 1,000 just there to be supportive. Right. And um, and because it, it's a college campus, about 1,500 people just checking it out.
0: Yeah, stopping on their way to class yeah. or
1: whatever. Yeah. Like, what's going on? I would have done
0: the same thing probably. And we should say also our, um, our buddy, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know um, host, and sometimes uh, producer Matt Frederick, mm-hmm. his parents were students at Kent State, and they stayed home that day. They did. They were like, there's some bad stuff that's going to go down, and they were right. Uh, so the
1: article points out it, it was less an anti-war protest at this point and more of a protest of the draconian occupation of their campus. Yeah, martial law. By the army. Yeah. and um, Which
0: is not even real, which is just a misunderstanding.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So the general, um, Canterbury, says, you know what? Uh, this rally's over. Drive me around in a Jeep. And give me that bullhorn. Let me tell everyone to go home because that'll work.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's go back to this, where these tensions came from in the first place. It's establishment versus anti-establishment. Yeah. And establishment is the type to stand in a Jeep and be driven around with a bullhorn telling people to disperse. I don't know if there's ever been a
1: message relayed via bullhorn that doesn't fall on deaf ears.
0: Yeah. You know? It has the opposite effect.
1: Unless, like, I guess in, like, a FEMA situations, if you're trying to, like, organize people and stuff, that helps, but... I always think of bullhorns as stuff like this: the general riding around in the jeep, yelling at people to go home, and people saying, "No, you don't understand why we're here in the first place." <laughs> right. So they started throwing rocks at the jeep. Not surprisingly, and um, <laughs> not he, surprised. <laughs> well,
0: think you know tensions at this point. This was day four. Yeah, I I think though though I'm not
1: justifying. I'm just no
0: saying, no. I know, you you know you're not at all, but I think it's really easy to to um. To, to kind of choose one side or the other, especially once you know the outcome. But I don't think it should be overlooked that, like, people are throwing rocks at this dude while he's driving around in the Jeep. People have burned down a building. Yeah, sure. People have rioted in the streets of the town, the college town. I mean, like, these are real huge events that scared the pants off of the people who were running the town, the state, the country. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I mean, to to say that they were unprovoked is historically inaccurate.
1: Yeah. I totally agree. Not justifying, but I think a no. lot of people might think the story is people got together to protest and the army came in and shot them.
0: Right. Or yeah, and and that it was either the protesters fault. They shouldn't have been protesting. Right. They shouldn't have burned down that building. Or, you know, it was uh, entirely the National Guard's fault. And you whatever historical event you're looking at, it's never just one side or the other no it's usually gray there is it all it's always gray you and you have blinders on if you think otherwise you should write a history book called it's always gray yeah josh clark's history of america (laughs) (laughs) i'd buy that thanks man
1: um all right so where are we uh they were throwing rocks at the general he at this point ordered his troops to load their weapons uh get the tear gas going he said they threw rocks at me you you guys load your weapons that's basically what happened. Um, not because his feelings were hurt. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh, although
1: I imagine they were.
0: <laughs> I guess. No matter who you are, I'm sure people throw rocks at yeah. you. You're like, I, I take that personally. <laughs> so the
1: National Guard came in. They they pushed them back past the commons over a steep uh, called Blanket Hill mm-hmm. and into a parking lot of uh, Prentice Hall in a practice football field. Then basically the guardsmen found themselves cornered by a fence, retreated back up the hill. When they got to the top, uh, 28 out of the 70 uh, turned and began firing their guns uh, into the crowd. Yeah, so— oh, Well, not all of them into the crowd, we should point out. Most into the air or the ground, actually, although some fired directly into the crowd. If they all would have fired directly into the crowd, there would have been a much higher blood count or body count.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, the, the protesters were about a football field away from them. Um, and the fact that they started to walk up the hill and then turn and shot made it not just an attack of Americans on Americans, but a surprise attack of Americans on Americans.
1: Yeah, I would say the students were definitely did not expect, uh, bullet retaliation. Took about 13 seconds. Um, four students were killed. Allison Krauss, not the Allison Krauss, obviously, Jeffrey Miller, uh, Sandra Schuer, and William Schroeder and uh, it's all tragic, but even more tragically, Sure and Schroeder were just walking to class.
0: Yeah, that and makes they weren't it even so part of the worse. protest. Yeah,
1: they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And like I said, nine people were wounded, and one Dean Collar was paralyzed.
0: And so, yeah, so, go ahead. So those shots. They shot into the air and into the ground, but also into the crowd. And over about 13 seconds, they fired between 61 and 67 shots. I think that could be categorized as a hail of gunfire. Uh, Yeah, 13 seconds, 60 shots. What is that? That's like uh, a lot of shots a second. Yeah. You know? That's true. And just from 28 guns. Yeah, and apparently
1: there was a uh, professor named Glenn Frank who did a lot to quell the crowd and did talk them into... uh, not escalating this thing any further. Right.
0: So this article really kind of glances over this guy's role. And it wasn't just him, but he was the head of the faculty marshals whose job it was was to basically keep an eye on the protests. They were like the the university's liaison between the university and the students, the protesters. And this guy and his crew basically single-handedly prevented like a massacre because... They saw very quickly that if they didn't insinuate themselves between the guardsmen and the students, yeah. the students were going to be like, holy, holy God, they just fired live ammunition on us. Yeah. And they're standing right there. Let's get them. Yeah. They would have attacked. The consensus is that the students would have attacked out of anger and that the guardsmen most definitely would have fired again when being attacked. Um, and these, this, this faculty member and his team saw what was about to happen and slid in and was like, wait. So they, first they spoke to the guardsmen and said, stop firing. We have to go talk to the students. Then they went and spoke to the students for 20 minutes and got them to calm down enough to, to, to stop provoking or to not provoke or advance on the um, guardsmen in retaliation and saved a lot of lives probably. I
1: wonder if there's a Glenn Frank statue. On campus, there should be. I agree. Uh, so they closed school not for the day or the weekend, but for the rest of the semester. And um, a lot of colleges did the same as far as shutting down.
0: Well, because a lot of students went on strike. Oh yeah, and like they were forced to. The universities were forced to shut down.
1: Uh, and the following weekend, a um, hundred thousand people went to DC um, to protest. Neil Young, news to Josh, wrote a song about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. So the um, the shootings have just happened, the, the crowd has been quelled, the, the dead and wounded have been taken away in ambulances, and now we've reached the aftermath. That's immediate right. Immediate and otherwise.
1: Yeah. Um, President Nixon wasn't super <clears throat> compassionate. He uh, had earlier been overheard calling them bums. Yeah. This wasn't in his press release, obviously, but it definitely got out in the press, did not bode well for his reputation. And, um, he said, "When dissent turns to violence, it invites tragedy. that was the official line that was the official line,
0: which is pretty cold. that's the president, like yeah, you get what you what you pay for,
1: yeah, you pretty know? much uh, his vice president um Agnew said it was predictable um, also not super compassionate, no, considering this these were Americans that were shot and killed, Right. Uh, two of which were just walking to class." Uh, he called them a bunch of scared kids with guns. The National Guardsmen.
0: Well, that was Ray Price, the speechwriter for Nixon.
1: Yeah, which is true.
0: Yeah, know? but so basically the whole the whole again Nixon, it's
1: gray, you know. It is like but, they probably were scared,
0: for sure. And uh, and, and yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think also though it's it's one sided too. Like he's he's not saying. And then also the the other side were a bunch of scared. Angry kids with rocks.
1: Yeah, like the only way, and you can't even remove the gray, but you'd have to find out each person who shot and what their motive was. Right. Because some were probably scared out of their mind and reacted. There has been some people later on that said that they some got together and decided to do this, some of the guardsmen.
0: Right, so when they they had been pushing the crowd back onto the um, practice football field, Apparently, while they were loitering there, there have been allegations that a couple of the guardsmen said, "Hey, when we march back up the hill, we're going to turn and fire." Right. It's never been proven, um, but a few more than a couple of historians have leveled that accusation. Um, there was also uh, immediate word that the guardsmen said that they were acting in self-defense because they there was a sniper on one of the rooftops and that yeah. they were being fired on. They found out that there were audio recordings of this, and um, that was quickly changed to, well, it was self-defense because these people were throwing rocks at us.
1: Yeah. There was a presidential commission, obviously, um, and they concluded it was, quote, unnecessary, unwarranted, and inexcusable. And then uh, an FBI investigation found that the guardsmen fabricated their defense and that they were not in true danger. Right. That was the FBI.
0: So the a presidential commission and the FBI investigation both said, like, this shouldn't have happened and, like, yeah. it's on the guardsmen. But uh, that wasn't the mood of the nation for the most part. There was a Gallup poll that was conducted shortly after, and um, the majority of Americans said that it was the protesters' fault for protesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, it went to trial, too. It wasn't just like, oh, well, this happened and it's super sad. And uh, In the federal trial, it was dim- dismissed because of what was called a weak case by the guardsmen. And then the grand jury in Ohio put the blame on the university officials and the protesters and not the guardsmen. And then there was a civil trial in uh, 1979 settled out of court where the victims and families uh, got a collective sum of $675,000. Collective sum meaning, I guess, that was for all of them, right? Yeah, Yeah. They all split that. And no an apology was uh, apology was ever issued. Um, they did issue a signed statement expressing regret. You want to hear it? Yeah.
0: So this is the signed statement that the that was that came out of the civil trial that the Ohio National Guard released to the families of the victims. In retrospect, the tragedy of May 4, 1970 should not have occurred. The students may have believed that they were right in continuing their mass protest in response to the Cambodian invasion, even though this protest followed the posting and reading by the university of an order to ban rallies and an order to disperse. These orders have since been determined by the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals to have been lawful. Some of the guardsmen on Blanket Hill, fearful and anxious from prior events, may have believed in their own minds that their lives were in danger, Hindsight suggests that another method would have resolved the confrontation. Better ways must be found to deal with such a confrontation. We devoutly wish that a means had been found to avoid the May 4th events, culminating in the guard shootings and the irreversible deaths and injuries. We deeply regret those events and are profoundly saddened by the deaths of four students and the wounding of nine others which resulted. We hope that the agreement to end the litigation will help to assuage the tragic memories regarding that sad day.
1: Not an apology. No. Sort of like... We no. regret.
0: Hindsight being twenty
1: twenty, we might have should have done something differently.
0: Right. Re- saying we regret instead of I'm sorry is... Yeah. That's a big flashing light. Yeah. It's a big diff. Uh,
1: and for many years, they um, the, the university itself wasn't quite sure how to handle uh, mm-hmm. moving forward in memoriam and otherwise. Um, yeah. In the 70s, they... The officials at Kent State failed. They tried to, but they tried to commemorate it just once every five years instead of every year.
0: And everybody who held the vigil was like, well, then you have nothing to do with this. And they kept showing up every year.
1: Right. I'm like, what are you going to do, call the National Guard and remove us? Yeah. And they went, no. Right. Uh, In 1979, (laughs) there were hundreds of arrests because the university tried to bulldoze uh, the place where it happened to build a gym. That didn't happen. Uh, and it took all the way up until 1998 to keep cars from driving over the spots in the parking lot where the students were killed.
0: Right, And finally, in the mid-2000s, um, the university has finally reversed its position and just kind of goes with the flow. And in 2013, they opened a visitor center that is all about commemorating this event as a historical event, but also I get the impression from the, the – the descriptions of the Visitor Center, a um, kind of the spiritual aspect of it, the, the spiritual yeah. aspect of tragedy. You know? Was that just last year?
1: Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, now the university, um, they say, is the nation's leader in uh, courses of nonviolence and democracy and peace studies and conflict resolution classes were all established. So they, you know, are trying to lead the way forward and at least being a symbol of, uh, you know, peaceful protest.
0: Right. And people are still trying to figure out what happened. There's still lots of debate. Um, Oliver Stone, uh, unsurprisingly, favors a theory that the government placed a sniper um, in these protests and that there were government plant agitators who pushed the protests over the line. Um, And this idea is supported by the fact that there were policies by governors and the president to crack down on dissent on student anti war protests, so there definitely was a policy that was like if you want to get dirty we'll we'll we 'll send our goons to beat you up, yeah, um but a lot of people think that the the presence of a sniper is totally unsupported um, but then a cassette emerged uh fairly recently that that 's an actual audio recording of that day that says supposedly you can hear. Um, the phrases get set, point, and fire, which means that this wasn't a surprise, uh, knee jerk shooting, that there was an officer commanding the guardsman to shoot.
1: Yeah, and it also, um, you know, with modern analysis, they think that there may have been uh, shots fired before, uh, a full, I think, 70 seconds before the guardsman fired. There's a, a Kent State student named Terry Norman. Um, who was a photographer on mm-hmm. campus, mm-hmm. taking pictures, and he also had a handgun, a loaded handgun. And he denied that he discharged it, but um, he has been accused of triggering this by firing shots. And I think they found evidence, audio evidence, that there were shots fired, and they think it may be have been Terry Norman Wow, that kicked it all off.
0: Man, can you imagine carrying that around? No, I could not. And then, Chuck, um, this is a lot of people say that that Kent State was the beginning of the um, slide toward Watergate for Nixon. This is like the beginning of the end for him. Yeah. Um, And then we should also talk about what happened at Jackson State because race relations in this country are so messed up. Yeah. That everybody talks about Kent State where four white students died and no one talks about Jackson State which happened 10 days later, and two black people died, black students.
1: Yeah, and could have been a lot worse. Like, they basically riddled a dormitory with a hail of gunfire.
0: Yeah. So, 10 days after Kent State, um, at Jackson State University um, in uh, Mississippi, uh, they were also carrying out anti-war protests, but there were also um, protests based on racism as well. Um, And when these students were doing a lot of the similar stuff, a lot of the same stuff that was happening or had happened at Kent State. They they were um, rioting. They had burned a, a building on campus down. And um, when firefighters came out to put out the flames, they started to get worried that these protesters were going to harm them, so they called the cops. Well, the cops came out, tried to disperse the crowd. The crowd didn't disperse, so they opened fire. And like you said, they riddled the building that served as the backdrop to this protest With bullets, something like 460 rounds hit the building alone. There's no telling how many went on the sides or anything like that, but 460 rounds.
1: Yeah, they said every window was broken on every floor with bullet fire.
0: Right. On on a crowd, a crowd of students. Um, And amazingly, only two people died.
1: Yeah, uh, Philip Gibbs, he was a a pre-law major Mm -hmm. and a father of an 18-month-old son, and uh, James Green... He was 17 years old, and he was a high school student walking home from his job at the grocery store.
0: Right, which, again, the fact that he's not involved in any way and still died makes it so much worse.
1: Yeah, and this one also, I don't think we pointed out, started out because of misinformation. There was um, a rumor that the mayor, uh, Mayor Charles Evers, and his wife had been shot and killed, assassinated, basically. Oh, yeah. It was not true.
0: A relative of Megger Evers, right?
1: Yeah, uh, he was his brother. And so that's kind of what sparked everything uh, in addition to, the, like, the anti-war protests, Right. And, uh, you know, it was very much about black and white.
0: Well, yeah, I know? mean, like, they're, they're yeah. So um, this is a historically black college. Uh, the cops had just opened fire on a, a bunch of students. Twelve people were hit by, injured by gunfire. Yeah. Two were killed. And the ambulances weren't called until the police picked up all of their shell casings and left. And then the National Guard came in.
1: Yeah, and then after that, uh, the the police denied they even took part. Um, I'm not sure how that panned out. How can you deny that you shot up a building?
0: So it was Mississippi in 1970. Yeah, I guess that makes at a, sense. And a historically black college.
1: And you probably never heard of Jackson State for that very reason. I have to
0: be honest. Even until we started researching this, I, didn't, I hadn't heard of it either. Yeah. And there was only one source we used that made reference to it. That's how I heard about it. So... That's great. It's just fantastic. That's what happened at Kent State. and Jackson State. In Jackson State. Um you got anything else? I got nothing else. There's gotta be a better ending to this than this. I mean, these things happen, but there there has to have been some lesson learned. I think so. It hasn't happened since. Yeah, that's true. I wonder Or at, wonder at least on, on a is... campus. Yeah. We should
1: do one on the Battle for Seattle.
0: Did they, they didn't fire live rounds at that though, did they? I'm pretty sure they didn't. But that yeah, we should do one on that as well. Yeah, my friend uh, John was there. Agitating? Is he a
1: black shirt? No, he had these funny protest signs about that reference to Simpsons. I can't remember. All. Or black block. That's what oh, it was. He called. got the pictures.
0: Really? Yeah. Um, well, I'll have to interview him then. I don't know that it would yield much information. Oh, fine. I think he was just goofing around. <laughs> I got you. Um, all right. Well, if you want to learn more about Kent State, you can type in uh, that name into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and we also encourage you to go look up Jackson State as well. Um, and let's see. Since I said search bar, you it's time for listener mail, right?
1: Yes, sir. I'm going to call this uh, prison guard. Wrote in. Uh, hey, guys. Um, for the most part, I found the episode on capital punishment pretty even-handed and interesting. However, I couldn't help but notice a bit of venom in your voices whenever you mentioned prison guards, especially in instance of an inmate taking his own life with a razor blade while he was being uh, observed on Death Watch. Uh, the implication was that the guard on duty uh, negligently gave the inmate a
0: razor in order to encourage him to take his own life. I don't think we implied that, did we? Um, no. It wasn't implied. It was more just like, what? kind of thing. Like, why why did that happen?
1: Right. Uh, As a former prison guard that worked on death row, I have to tell you um, that couldn't be further from the truth. It's a civil right for inmates to have access to razor blades uh, for hygienic purposes. I was required to allow an inmate on death row to keep the disposable razor for 30 minutes, despite the fact that he had nearly killed another inmate and murdered a prison official with a razor blade while serving his sentence. I'd imagine an inmate, even on Death Watch, would have similar rights, but I can't confirm through experience um, guards that worked on death row weren't allowed to serve on Death Watch. Uh, This is because it was feared that we'd form an emotional bond to the inmate set for execution and might cause a scene. So, yes, prison guards have feelings and can have empathy for others. Uh, Pop culture nearly always portrays guards as heavies and villains and even smart portrayals of prison life like Orange is the New Black has every prison official character as a comic book mustache twirling villain or a mouth breathing idiot it's a hard job and should be respected as much as other high risk civil servant uh, careers a um, little disappointed you guys continued this trend but I'm used to it so don't sweat it <laughs> so uh, that is from Craig and he let us off easy even though he feels like we insulted his job
0: well thanks Craig I think he, he did exactly what we, we were kind of searching for right then we were just um, uh, disgustedly confused yeah or disgustedly ignorant one of the two
1: yeah I will say that he is probably right on the money as far as movie portrayals it's pretty one note if you're a prison guard in a movie Yeah. in general unless it's the green mile and that movie has problems of its own or Oz uh, I never watched Oz
0: what yeah that was the first, that Oz is the show that kicked off all the shows you love and binge watch now. I know. The idea of binge watching a show began with a show like Oz because there was nothing like it ever created before. <laughs> it, was, it all started with Oz. The Wire, The Shield, um, House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, everything, every Breaking Bad, all of them can thank Oz. You can thank Oz. You okay. should go watch Oz, man. Thank you, Oz. It's good. Great. Man, this one is something. I feel drained a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Emotionally exhausted. I'm still not happy with the ending. I feel like we could have ended a lot better, but um, I'll have to think on it. All right. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me and Chuck, you can uh, tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can hang out on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Um, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com.
1: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.